The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. It's deja vu all over again. The future ain't what it used to be. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Yogi Berra is widely regarded as one of the greatest major league catchers in history. He was a coach and a manager too. But the reason that I learned about Yogi were his yogiisms the dozens of amusing aphorisms and pithy paradoxes that are attributed to him. It ain't over until it's over. It gets late early out there. You can see a lot by looking. Notably, Yogi has also quipped that he didn't really say everything he said but the so-called yogiisms are a lovely legacy either way. Just about all of them are funny, and many of them, maybe most of them, are also surprisingly profound. They offer an invitation into contradiction. They are simple truths, made somehow more wise when stated uniquely. I was reminded of Bera this week as I realized that there are a whole slew of similar phrases about urgency and slowing down. Daniel's mantra is one example. When you're out of time, slow down. But there are others. There is only time to go slowly. Your rushing is slowing us down. There is urgency that we slow down. On the surface, these phrases seem contradictory, but turning them over, perceiving them again from a different angle can yield surprising insight. The one that got me started, I came to know from Dr. Beo Okomolafe, a prolific author and lecturer who says that his most sacred work is in being with his daughter and his son. There is an African saying, Dr. Akomalafe writes, the times are urgent. Let us slow down. Hearing it, he says, I knew I had happened on something important. These are urgent times. That part feels clear, right? I don't want or need to enumerate the intersecting crises of our times. We know these things, whether by heart or body or intellect. And this year has lain them bare for anyone for whom they weren't plainly obvious already. These times are urgent, and they long have been. 
Following the 2016 election, Adrienne Marie Brown, a healer, facilitator, and author, offered this. Things are not getting worse. They are getting uncovered. She shared those words again following the January insurrection earlier this year, this time written into a poem. Things are not getting worse. They are getting uncovered. A reminder in the moments where for some of us it can feel like a boiling point. A reminder that there were moments before this one and there will be moments after too. A reminder that there are foundational wounds, histories and legacies behind those flashpoint moments that what feels new is the unveiling. The heaviness, she says, is the increasing weight of the truth, becoming undeniable as more people believe it. There has long been urgency and long been a need for it. On this 4th of July, I think of Frederick Douglass's seminal speech, What to the Slave is the 4th of July? The speech is a harsh rebuke and a call to action. It is not light that's needed, but fire, he says, not a gentle shower, but thunder. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The consciousness of the nation must be roused. Douglas called then for a reckoning already long overdue when he delivered it 170 years ago. In a video produced by NPR last summer, five of Douglas's descendants read excerpts from that speech and reflect on its bearing on the current moment, then in the midst of the uprisings in defense of black life. Listening to Frederick Douglass's great, 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 great grandchildren reflect on the continued relevance of that speech, it's sobering and, and powerful, attesting to the foundational nature of the injustice of white supremacy that we are called to counter today. I think of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's use of the phrase, the fierce urgency of now, in his Beyond Vietnam speech, delivered at Riverside Church in 1967. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, he says, there is such a thing as being too late. I am struck in these speeches by the not newness of urgency, the reality of it, and the value of it. So urgency is nothing new, but there are moments, personal ones and collective ones, where that uncovering or unveiling happens. We've had our share of these collective moments in the last year. Flashpoint moments that start movements or revive them in new form. Acute crises that expose structural inequities that long have been. And there are personal unveilings too. 
moments that uncover something, that make a connection, that can shake us awake to something beyond our immediate personal experience. Can you remember such a moment for yourself? Can you remember a moment when a headline or an experience or a story touched you? When feeling welled up in you, when you felt that urgent call to act? Maybe it was just the other day or maybe there was a seminal moment of uncovering years ago that stayed with you since. Can you remember what you felt then? Just before the urgency came over you? Was it grief? Anger? Fear? Did you feel it in your stomach? Your chest? Being awake to the world, this most human of vocations, sometimes it can be devastating. And still, those moments are important. The feelings they bring up are important. I, for one, am indebted to the work of Joanna Macy, who articulates how feeling pain for the world is a sign of living. It's an expression of love for creation and for one another. These feelings inspire us to action. The urgency they promote is important. Faced with multiple crises, with the reality that in some of what we face, we can be too late, urgency seems like the only reasonable, accountable response. And yet, there is a moment that stuck with me from when I was working as a labor organizer. Brimming with the idealistic impatience of an emerging adult and overwhelmed with the massive task of combating economic injustice, all playing out in the bustling context of New York City, needless to say, it was a time when I moved fast. On this particular afternoon, I was rushing to catch a train, rushing and running through a to-do list in my mind and carrying a cup of coffee that was already sloshing over on me. I was consumed by an urgent task. I had to catch Maria before she left for work and let her know something. The nature of that urgent something I can no longer remember. And so there I was, completely consumed by the to-do list in my head, the total urgency of my task, what seemed then like the critical linchpin in the larger struggle for worker justice, and it hit me. Or rather, I hit her. I ran smack into Maria, the very person I'd been running to find. I spilled coffee all over both of us and was jolted in an instant out of the self-important and self-absorbed urgency that I was carrying with me. And of course, Maria, as we mopped the coffee off of both of us, graciously let me know that she was, in fact, already totally aware of the very thing I was so frantic to tell her. These times are urgent. Let us slow down. If you have told me that that morning before our collision, I would have protested vehemently. I could not possibly slow down and neither should you. 
but in the years since, I have heard this call reverberated. Different takes on it echoed by activists and thinkers working at the intersection of multiple oppressions. People like Ebony Janice Moore and Angel Kyoto Williams and Adrienne Marie Brown and Alexis Pauline Gums. Meeting urgency with urgency, they say, will not get us where we need to go. On the most practical level, we know that rushing can slow us down. Daniel shared that insight so well. The dinner turned up too high, burned, that small mistake made while moving frantically, costing hours in repair. But even in the moments where rushing seems to save time, there's a cost. Operating from a place of urgency can keep us stuck in the same tired patterns trying the same things and expecting different results, fighting fire with fire. We can miss opportunities and resources that are all around us. At worst, our hurry can unwittingly reproduce the harmful patterns of the very systems we are fighting. It can incentivize sacrificing the necessary and slow work of building relationships and coalitions for measurable short-term gains. Urgency thinking can diminish creativity and narrow our view, leading us to forego reflection or strategic planning that might make our work more effective. It can have us working when we need to be resting, locked into an unsustainable cycle of doing that ultimately burns us out. A lot of this, I think, is intuitive. We see it play out in our everyday lives. One piece, though, that just dawned on me is the way that urgency requires disconnection. It disconnects us from the heart that inspired the urgency in the first place. At its worst, urgency uses action to fix or distract from feelings of pain for the world, the heartache the fear that woke us up in the middle of the night, the love for life that undergirds it all, all of those deeply important human emotions lost in the rush to action. We know that these times are urgent. Faced with a warming climate, the legacy of centuries of white supremacy and colonialism, the persistent impacts of intersecting oppressions that harm every one of us. There is no time to waste. These times call us to channel the urgency we feel into steady, wise action. We will need every ounce of creativity and capacity that we can muster. We will need creative and courageous tools, frameworks, and ways of working together. We will need to be grounded in our bodies, our feelings, our values. And we will need community that can hold us through it all. Community like this one. Ready to rise to the urgency of this time thoughtfully and effectively. Ready to feel, to reflect, 
and to act. Beo Okomalafe begins the lecture, the times are urgent, let us slow down with scripture. Born in a Christian home to Yoruba parents in Western Nigeria, he begins with the word sila, sila, a Hebrew word that appears no less than 74 times in the book of Psalms, sila. While the exact translation remains a subject of speculation and debate, the greatest consensus is that the word is an invitation to pause. Sila shows up at the end of verses, both praise and lament. Sila, pause. It is an invitation to slow down, to breathe. Sila. And so, may we pause. May we slow down. May we breathe. And from that place, may we act courageously and creatively together. May it be so. Amen. I have a mantra. When you're out of time, slow down. When you are out of time, slow down. I frequently have to relearn it because in the heat of the moment, when an urgent problem is the only thing on my mind, slowing down is the last thing that I want to do. I'm already behind. Taking a pause will leave me even less time. But time and again, I see that urgency is self-defeating. I don't think that I am alone. How many of us have rushed out the door so efficiently that we realized five minutes later that we forgot something crucial at home, and even though we are already late, we have no choice but to turn back? Or has anyone else cranked up the heat on dinner only to burn it, requiring extra time to salvage the meal? Or am I the only one who has put together IKEA furniture without carefully every understanding every instruction and thought that I was finishing in record time only to discover a mistake and half an hour ago that requires me to take everything apart again to get it right. Time and again, rushing creates more delays to get it right. This also happens to me with general urgency, where I don't have one urgent task, but I feel overwhelmed by the sum total of everything I must do. I work what we used to call an office job, which has thankfully become a work from home job for the moment, where my work requires 
thinking and focus and judgment. I have learned that a mid-afternoon break makes me feel much better. And I've even pays for itself. After my break, it is so much easier to focus and do good work for the rest of the day that I make up for the 15 minutes spent on the break and get just as much done that day. And yet, when it's 2.45 and I'm in a little bit of a haze and stressed about how much I need to get done and how slowly I am making progress, it is hard for me to actually get out of my chair and take a walk. I get into a stressed mindset, a scarcity mindset around time. As I think about it now from a distance on a Sunday morning, it makes no sense. I know a simple trick that will make me happier and more productive. I should be dying to take full advantage of it. But in that moment, it's hard for me to believe that logic and actually commit to taking a break. It is hard for me to believe in the face of urgency that a break is part of the most productive way forward. I have found some ways to interrupt urgency hijacking my brain. At work, I can put my breaks for the week in my calendar Monday morning. Then, the decision of whether and when to take a break is already made when the break comes along, which helps me minimize the, the reluctance that urgency brings out. But I haven't beaten the overall pattern. I am still working to be mindful enough to notice when I am rushing and need to take a step back. It is frustrating that I have coined the mantra, when you're out of time, slow down, years ago. And yet I still haven't fully put it into practice. But I guess I can't rush it.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.